Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much, and we hope you have a great week. God bless you. I want to preach to us today um, a message. I, I want to teach us how to heal the blind. Amen. Anybody want to know how to heal the blind? I'm not going to teach you how to heal the physical ailment of blindness because I have no idea other than pray for them in the name of Jesus and, and see what He will do. But there's another element of blindness that we see in Scripture. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. I'll give you a moment to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting at verse 3. It says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So last week we delved into and we talked about the power and the simplicity of the gospel. And for the most part, everyone that was here last week already knew everything I was preaching. You could have preached the message yourself. In fact, I hope you are preaching it to people in your life. But now the scripture tells us a little bit more about the gospel. It says if our gospel is hid, it's not hid to us because we already know it. It's hid to them that are lost. Verse 4 says, in whom the God, that's little g, it's not capital G, the God of this world, this is referring to Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. Have you ever been trying to explain something to someone, and it doesn't have to be spiritual, but it, it's so clear to you? You know, maybe you're trying to help a, a child with their homework. And because of the understanding that you have, it's, it's an elementary type of, of conversation, but they just don't see it. Try as you, as you do to make them understand. You, you reword it. You put it in different analogies, and you try to explain it different ways, and you, you continue to try to paint a picture for them, but they just don't see it. Even when looking directly at something, one can be mentally oblivious to it. How many are good at the, the 3D books? Like where you look at it for a while, you're good at those? I'm, I'm okay at them if I start like here and I do the slow remove thing and it starts to pop out. But isn't it amazing that the image is always there? That image is there 100% of the time. And yet you can take that and you can get to certain pages and you just don't see it. And everybody else that looks at the book can say, oh yeah, it's right there. It's a, it's a giant elephant. It's right there. It's, don't you see it? And you're going, no, I don't. I don't, I don't see it. Or the, the finding books. My kids like to do the finding books. We go back to where is Waldo or where, whatever finding book it is. And, and that, that pencil that you're supposed to find. There's, there's 15 of them on the page. The, the legend tells you that they're all there, and yet you stare at this book for what seems like an eternity, and you just don't see it. You're, you're blinded you to what is obvious. Once you find it, it's like, oh, there it is. It's right there. It's been there the whole time. It's obvious. If you go back to it, is that ringing? I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to turn everything down. This thing doesn't like you guys. It works really good before church. And then when I start preaching, it gives me trouble. 
But it, it's, it's right there. It's obvious once you see it. But until then, you're blind to it. You're oblivious to the fact that it's there. In this text, Jesus informs us that Satan utilizes such tactics on people who choose not to believe the gospel. So they, they, they say, you know what, that sounds like a fairy tale, that's not real, I can't put my faith in that, life has dealt too many challenges my way, I don't understand it, I don't see it. And the God of this world, little g, Satan comes in and blinds the minds of those who believe not. He covers it up. Now, now they're um, struggling, they're unable to see the gospel. Jesus also speaks of this type of blindness in Matthew 5 and 14. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. It says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a ditch. Now that's a pretty chaotic word picture that the Lord paints there. He's got a, a, an image. Number one, there, there's some dispute here. Imagine that, Pharisees disputing with Jesus. And uh, the disciples come and they say, Hey, Jesus, we don't know if you're aware of this, but, but you made the Pharisees mad again. They're upset. The things that you said it hurt their little feelings and, and they're mad. And Jesus says, Just leave them alone. He said they're blind and they're leading the blind. Can you imagine being blind? My kid asked me, one of them the other day asked me the question, if you, if you had to choose, would you have no taste or no sight? And as horrible as it would be not to ever taste anything ever again, I cannot fathom going through life without being able to see. Those that are born without sight or tragedy strikes their life and they live without the ability to see what is in front of them, I, I can't imagine what they go through. But if you can for a moment put yourself in that position, something happens. You get something in your eyes, something takes place neurologically, and, and you can no longer see. You're blind. You don't see the color of the chairs. You don't know where they are. You don't know how to get back to your car. You, you couldn't drive it if you did get back to your car because that would be really bad. It's a bad day. But somebody comes along and says, listen, don't worry, I'm going to help you. I'm going to take you by the hand and I'm going to lead you to where you need to go. That would be a comforting feeling. As long as you never heard anybody explain to you that the person taking you by the hand is also blind. Now things just got worse. I'm tempted to have a couple people close their eyes and lead each other around and demonstrate, but I won't do that. You know, here, follow me. Just follow me. I know where to go. And we're stumbling over things and we're tripping into and we're falling into hardships and, and we're coming into contact with all kind of things that we don't want to come in contact with. Our, our shins would be black and blue. All of our toes would be curled up because we've stubbed them so many times. We'd have knobby knees probably skint elbows. The, the Bible says that if the blind lead the blind, they're both going to fall into a ditch. Both of them. Both the leader and the follower are going to end up in the ditch. It's a tragic enough event to consider in the physical, but the scene becomes even worse when we allow ourselves to process the spiritual implications of blind leadership. This passage is playing out in our society on a daily basis. Blind leading the blind. Those who have chosen not to believe the gospel. They've made a decision for the most part to reject the, the story and the truth, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They do not adopt it. While much of America would still verbally declare to be Christian, very few actually strive to live like Christ. And so, though I'm saying one thing with my mouth, if I'm in this boat, it's just not there. 
It's not true. And so they live their life as those that are blind. Those who have been elected by the masses to lead are not merely apathetic to the commands of Scripture, but are like those mentioned in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. Their minds have been blinded because they choose to reject the gospel. They have rejected the gospel and opened the door for the God of this world to blind their minds. We live in a day that is the fulfillment of what Jesus said. When we look around, we see all around us blind leading the blind. I'm going to give some examples. I just, I just kind of went through and made a list. But they fund and promote the slaughter of unborn infants by the millions. That's a ditch that our society has landed in because blind people have allowed themselves to be led by blind people. They highlight lifestyles of sexual promiscuity. Promiscuity. This is a ditch that we have landed in. Say, oh, come on, how do we highlight that? You show me something that Hollywood has put out in the last six months that doesn't promote sexual activity. Every comedy, every action, every drama, everything you find is going to show people outside of the confines of marriage engaging in sexual activity. It's highlighted, it's promoted, it's talked about as cool and awesome and great. And this is what the blind people are being led by. It produced video games in which players engage in illegal, violent, and even mentally unstable behavior while wearing badges of honor as they exert efforts to remove Dr. Seuss from our schools. How dare we allow Dr. Seuss? Dr. Seuss! I mean, there, there's, there's connotations. If you, if you read it and you interpret it just like this, it, it could mean something that's inappropriate. That's what society's saying and screaming right now. And, and at the same time, there's games like Grand Theft Auto. I won't even go into the actions that people do in this game. There's, there's a ditch, folks. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense. They gasp in horror at the assignment of gender to a plastic potato while they hold the door open for pedophiles to enter into areas that were previously off-limits. What do you mean it's Mr. Potato Head? Mrs. Who do you think you are to, to assign gender to this plastic child's toy? And yet they're telling me that I should allow men, and they are men, to walk into locker rooms with my daughters? There's a ditch. The blind have led the blind to a point where we have fallen into a ditch. Even now, legislation is in place under the misleading wording of equality that would force churches and Christian schools to either stop upholding biblical definitions of gender, or face radical fines and criminal charges. The current Equality Act, and this is not a political statement, but I do think you need to be educated about it and be aware of it. It's called the Equality Act, and it lumps in and includes churches and schools as uh, facilities that offer public gatherings. Therefore, if you're a facility that offers a public gathering, you cannot discriminate. And by discriminate, they mean you cannot draw a clear line and place on a, a door a sign for a man and a sign for a woman to enter the restroom. You can't do that any longer. You're going to, go, you're going to be fined. You, you may go to jail. While we should be enraged by all of this on one hand, we should not be surprised to find ourselves in this ditch. Scripture is clear. When the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a ditch. And we, though we can see, are a part of a larger lump sum of society, and so we oftentimes find ourselves struggling to pull ourselves and, and those closest to us back out of this ditch. But it, it shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus told us that it was going to happen. With that understanding, I want to go to Mark chapter 8, 
verses 23 and 24. Sort of an interesting account here. Mark chapter 8 and verse 23. It says, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands upon him and asked him if he saw aught. Number one, that's gross. But here is Jesus, and they bring to him a blind man. And Jesus says, okay, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to heal you. And he leads the man somewhere. So now this blind individual is no longer being led by the blind. But he's actually holding on to and following after Jesus. And he leads him out of the town, out of the place where he was. And I don't understand it, but the Bible says that he spit on his eyes. And he laid hands on him. And he asked the man a question. Do you see aught? Do you see anything? And this individual answered and says, I see men as trees walking. I see men as trees walking. I don't fully know why this man received his healing in two phases. If you continue to read, uh, there's further instruction. And the man follows that further instruction and he receives the rest of his healing. But at this point in time, in this conversation, he's half healed. He's halfway healed. He, he was blind. He couldn't see anything. But now, now as he focuses and he struggles to see a little bit, he, he can see images. He sees the people around him. He can't really make out what they, what they look like. They look like trees, but, but he's, half, he's half healed. I wonder how many men and women within the church only allow themselves to become half healed. See, because we were blind too. So let's not puff our chest out and talk about how great it is to be healed and, and see without acknowledging that prior to an interaction with Jesus, we also dealt with spiritual blindness. We had issues in our life that God had to deliver us from. And here this guy comes, and God does a, a partial work in his life, and he's half healed. And he could have took off running, screaming for joy. I can kind of see, I can kind of see, which would have been great. I mean, that's miraculous. Before, he couldn't see at all. Our minds are open enough to see what others cannot, but not open enough to truly help them. This guy, his, his eyes were open enough to where he could, he could now see figures. By himself, he could walk around without falling or, or walking into things. He could, he could see enough to get around. But I don't think he's the one I would want leading me if I were blind. He wasn't quite there yet. He wasn't, he wasn't ready for that. In an attempt to keep the blind out of the ditch, we declare at the top of our lungs how bad it is sometimes to be blind. This is, this is the, the trap that we fall into when we can only see half of what we should. We scream at the top of our lungs how atrocious the sin is and how awful people are and how, how condemnable the actions are. We use our best graphics to convey shame that should accompany being blind. Maybe blind is the wrong analogy now, but some of the same things that I spoke about earlier. We, we have no problem opening our mouths and, and talking about the detestable actions of abortion. And we, we scream it. It's horrible. It's awful. You're murderers. Murderers. And we... We use graphics. We craft memes to mock the blind and expose how superior we are now that we can see. Because we are only half healed. We call our government leaders and we communicate how much we value our right to stand against the blind. We do. And I have no problem with activism and, and communicating with government leaders but even in that statement the problem is revealed if we're not careful in this half-healed state we begin to take a stance against the blind that is not the stance that Jesus calls us to take 
Our stance is not against those who haven't yet been healed. A lot like the crowd standing around the adulterous woman that found herself at the feet of Jesus. We stand against the blind. Here are people who the Scripture bears out, and we're going to read it in a moment in John chapter 8, all had flaws, all had issues. And yet they, they see this person stumbling around in blindness. They catch her in the very act of adultery. What a horrible, horrible person she is. And so they grab her and they drag her out into the street. I'm, I'll begin to read it. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto Him. And He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto Him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto Him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. In the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. I'll stop there for a moment. Thank God someone had the good conscience to respond to conviction. Amen. Somebody in the crowd had to drop the first stone. Somebody had to be brave enough to say, you know what? Yep, I, I had some... He said, without sin, I have no right to throw this. And every stone that fell after that, it became easier and easier for those standing around this woman to admit their own shortcomings and let go of the stone and, and walk away. Thank God somebody had the courage to, to respond to conviction. The truth of the matter is, we as those who have, have received our sight at the hand of Jesus, we've been delivered. We can now see the gospel. We see His work. We see Him moving. We see what He likes and what He doesn't like. We will never open the eyes of the blind by standing against them. That's, that's not how it happens. That's not how it works. The passage continues on. It says, When Jesus had lifted up Himself and saw none but the woman, He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. See, we're blessed. We're incredibly blessed to have had the interaction that we have at this point in our life with Jesus. Because without Jesus, you and I alike are no different than these people walking around in darkness. We have um, social hot topics right now that face us as a country and as a society. And so if we're not careful, we will find ourselves as the church seeking out occasions to, to grab a hold of those topics and draw them out into the forefront and cast them down before the public eye and say, look how horrible this is. And call for, as they did in the Scripture, the death of this individual. I don't understand how their, their mind operated in this passage that their desire was for this woman to be stoned to death. 
They were now against her. They became her adversary. The spiritual ones. The ones who were supposed to stand in the gap between humanity and God now stood with their fingers pointed saying the law says we should kill her. There's a ditch here also that we have to avoid. How is it that we heal the blind? Jesus told us in this passage at the end, He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We don't overcome darkness. We, we don't open the eyes of those that are lost in sin by standing against them and becoming their enemy, but rather by introducing them to the love and the power of Jesus. Their, their issue, their struggle, their sin does not have to be and should not be the starting point of our conversation with these people. Because from the beginning of that conversation, it is me against them and them against me. And the only way I can win is if I defeat them. But rather, the starting point of our conversation should be, let me tell you about a God who has done a work in my life. He loves you. He's for you. He values you. Jesus didn't um, pacify or, or justify the woman's actions. When she finally got around to a place where she could receive the, the correction she needed, He did instruct her, go your way and sin no more. Go your way and sin no more. She could receive that from Him because she first received mercy. She first received love. She first received acceptance and pardon. There was a, a communication that took place long before He ever began to bring about correction in her life. How do we open the minds, the blind minds of those around us? We get them to follow Jesus. The God of this world cannot blind the minds of those who do not reject the Gospel. This is part two of last week. How do, we, how do we open the blind mind of those around us? We get them to a point where they can accept the Gospel. Where they can accept Jesus. Where they can have a relationship with Him. You know what? They might start out following Jesus and still believe abortion is right. But the Scripture tells me that if they follow Him for very long, they can't walk in darkness. They're not going to walk in darkness. So, so if I just get them to follow Jesus long enough, He'll deal with this stuff. He'll deal with all the social issues and He'll begin to change the hearts of people. He'll remove those stony hearts and, and He'll give them a new heart of flesh. And, and what they couldn't see before, He'll illuminate and bring out before their eyes. If we get them to follow Him, they will naturally begin to step out of darkness. How do we defeat the advance of, again, abortion? We bring pro-abortion folks to Jesus. That's how we do it. No, we need to have banners and we need to make signs and we need to... Whatever. The, the amount of people that have had their heart changed because of an angry group of people picketing outside of a building... Or, or screaming back and forth and arguing back and forth is so minute. So minute. There are other ways to go about it. How do we stop the... or how do we avoid the ditch that's being created by the... I think I have all the letters, probably not, LGBTQT agenda? It just keeps getting to be more and more letters. So what we got to do, we got to dig in deep. We got to we got to make sure we're we're uh, defensive. We're we're against that. We're going to hold that back. How about we just start introducing LGBTQT individuals to Jesus? As many of them as possible. Amen. As many as possible. You know what'll change the heart of of a homosexual? Jesus will change the heart of a homosexual. You know what will open the blinded mind of a transgender individual? Jesus can open the blinded mind. 
My words, my reasoning, my rationale can many times fall short. But if I can just get them in the presence of God, if I can just allow them to, to, to begin to read a little bit of His Word and, and maybe see how He's working in my life, if I can just get them to follow after Jesus, it won't be very long before they step out of darkness. We have a drug problem all around us. How is it that we stop drug addiction within our community? We've got to reach every drug addict and every drug dealer with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we have to do it. Thank God for the D.A.R.E. program and, and Just Say No and, and all the other things we do. Whatever the, the world can do to advocate against drug use. But I'm telling you the greatest resource we have against drug abuse is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we stop the sex crimes that plague our communities, both small and large? We get those people to follow Jesus. We get them to follow Jesus. Defensive strategies never advance your calls. Now that's a simple statement, but I want you to think about it for a moment. If, if I'm always in the defensive mode, I can never advance my calls. So let's play football here for a moment. If all you have is a good defense... How many points are you going to put on the scoreboard? You know, you, you send the defense out, and all right, you, you, you got to stop. Now the ball gets turned over, and you're like, okay, defense, take the field. Uh, we don't have any plays to run. We don't know which way to run the ball. We don't, we don't have anybody to throw. We, we don't know what to do. I'm afraid that in many cases, we as Christian people have taken a stance to where we have a great defense. We can intellectually communicate why we stand against the things that we stand against. And we can tell people why it's wrong. And we can quote, quote Scripture. And we, we know all the ways to defend our beliefs. But what are we doing to advance our calls? Where's the offense? The agendas. And I'm not talking about the people that are blinded by this, but the God of this world, Satan, who is using these agendas to push forward his calls, is very aggressive on offense. That's why these things are such a big issue. He's very offensive. He has a plan to move this, this agenda further along the line. We are not against worldliness. We are for holiness. We've got to get this through our minds because it, it makes such a radical difference. You say, oh, you're just playing with words. It's just semantics. No, it's not. Because I can stand and scream against worldliness all day long. I can fill this pulpit week after week and there's enough sin around us and there's enough vile things happening all around us that I, I would have content to preach on from now till Jesus comes. But it wouldn't change anything. We may be better at defense, but, but we're, we're for holiness. We're advancing the cause of holiness. We're taking the message of Jesus into the world. And, and that worldliness that's, that's blinding the minds of these people, when they get a hold of holiness, when holiness advances into another family, and into another extended family, and into another community, and another circle of influence, I'm moving forward the will of of God. We don't stand against sin. We stand for righteousness. Again, well, it's the same thing. No, no, it's not. Because I can tell people what's wrong all day long, but I got to show them what's right. I've got to offer an alternative that's better. I can remember being a young person, and I was, I was about 15 when I came to God, and thinking one of the things in my mind, this, this mindset I had of, of going to church and being involved in, in the kingdom of God is like boring. I just want to have fun. I just want to go. I just want to do this and I want to do that because, it, because it's fun and it brings me joy and it entertains me. And what I had seen up until that point in my life was not a church saying, hey, Jesus has come that you can have life and life more abundantly. Man, there's things that you can get involved in that are, that are entertaining and they're fun and you're going to have a full life. You can live it to its fullest. All I could think of was, was hard wooden pews with stiff backs and quiet rooms. 
That's when, when, when the world starts hearing about church, folks, we need to understand they, they can't see what you see. They don't know that they can come into a place and clap out a beat and have it be okay. They don't know that you can come into a place and actually feel the presence of God moving in you. They don't know that that Spirit wants to live inside of them and alter their hearts and their minds. They don't know that there's joy unspeakable. They, they don't know of all these things. I'm for righteousness. And righteousness is an exciting way to live. I'm not against blindness in the sense of, of just being defensive, but I am for the spreading of light. I find myself praying the same prayers sometimes, not to be repetitive, but because it is a sincere desire. One of the things I pray oftentimes, even here when we receive an offering, is God, use this to advance your kingdom. To advance your kingdom. Well, what am I doing? What am I doing to advance God's kingdom? What am I doing to really expand the borders of His reign here on earth? We have to be more aggressive in exposing the masses to the light of Jesus than Satan is at blinding minds. If it was one for one, one for one, that the church is exposing people to light, and Satan is blinding the minds of people. Who's working harder? I know that's like a swear word in modern Christianity. What, you mean work? You mean actually do something? Yeah, actually do something. Who's working harder, the church or the little g God of this world to blind the minds? I sure hope the church is working harder. Not to condemn not to cast people at the feet of Jesus and point out all their flaws, but to say, hey, listen, there's a better way. There's light. over. If, if you'll just walk this way for a little... I know you don't see it right now, but if, if you'll just come this way for a little... If you'll just follow Jesus, even for a moment, the Scripture says that you're going to step out of that darkness and you're going to have the light of life. I hope we as the church are more, more aggressive. One of the problems is, and it's not completely bad, I want to be careful how I say this, but one of the issues is we're so disgusted by some of the sins of our day. And we should be. Some of the topics that I've, I've touched on today, they're detestable actions. But part of the problem is that we can become so detested, so disgusted by the actions that we don't even want to talk to the people. I, I mean, I really had to think myself. I was convicted as I prepared for this message last night because I don't know really where I would stand or how easy it would be if God put someone in my life who was a, a pedophile. I've got four kids. I, I mean, it's a real conversation. I'm so disgusted by those actions. It's, it's horrible. It's despicable. But I don't want to be so disgusted by those actions that I'm unwilling to reach for that person. I'm not a fool. They're not going to be coming over for dinner. They're not going to be exposed to my children. I'm going to handle myself wisely. But when all that's said and done, I hope I have it within myself to say, listen, I'll meet you, I'll meet you at Applebee's and we'll sit down and we'll, we'll spend time together. We'll have a conversation. Oh man, what are people going to think if they see you around town with that person? I've picked a pretty extreme example for, for a reason. But all of, all of these sins, all of these things that are, are plaguing our world, people wandering around in blindness and we're like, Ugh, like we're going to catch you know, sin cooties. I don't want to be so turned off by, by the way in which Satan has blinded their minds 
that I forfeit their soul to hell and every person they're going to influence on their way. Give us the right reaction when, when some of these people walk through the doors of the church to say, we are, we're glad you're here. God wants to do a work in your life. Again, we're going to be wise. I've, I've encountered this on a minor level in another church where an individual with a past started to come and we had to say, okay, this, this door right here, this leads to the Sunday school hall. Don't ever walk through this door. That's a weird conversation to have in church. But the, the guy stuck around for a long time because he wasn't rejected. He wasn't criticized. Or re- we didn't make any public announcements. You, you don't go here. You can come in these doors. We want to know where you're at at all times, and we're very happy that you're here. And God's going to do a work in your life. May the Lord keep our hearts in the right place that we can have that response. When they show up, not just that sin, but any sin on your workplace, and God gives you the opportunity to rub shoulders with them and have an impact on them, May our, may our hearts be in the right place that we can do that. That we can advance the kingdom. That we can spread the light. This is an interesting question. I'm probing a little bit at this point. I'll close shortly. And it's, it's one that the answer becomes fewer and fewer the longer we live for God if we're not intentional. But the question would be, how many, I've got written down here, how many spiritually blind people are a part of your life right now? How many sin-sick individuals are a part of your life right now? You know what's troubling is, the longer we live for God, that number becomes less and less and less and less. Some of that is because when we first come to God, we're coming out of that. So all of our friends, all of our circle of influences is that way. And we need to create a distance. And that, that's a healthy thing. But there also comes a point where we reach a level of spiritual maturity where we're now we're not babes drinking milk anymore. We're feeding on the sincere meat of God's Word. And we're given a, a commission to go back out into the field and to reach these people. And I've got to be intentional about crafting and keeping these relationships. If I'm not, then I'll, I'll find the answer. Oh, there's, there's two or three. Well, there's, you know, well, I get gas at the same place every week. I'm pretty sure that person doesn't live for God. And we don't, we don't have anybody that we're really impacting. We don't have anyone that we're trying to develop a relationship that allows us influence in their life. So that we can say, listen, I, I know you've got some issues, but you know, I, I'm not condemning you for those things. I just want to introduce you to the God that I serve. I want to show you a side of Jesus that I don't think you've been able to see up until this point. I don't know, and it's, this is a unique message for me to preach, because I don't know that this is, this is what a lot of churches are saying. I think it's what we want to say. But sometimes the way we carry ourselves and the way we conduct ourselves is almost like, get it right, and when you're ready to change, come and talk to us. I started thinking, what is, and I would, I would ask, I'm just interested to see what you would say, what do you think is the the most famous Christian hymn of all time. That's what came to my mind. Amazing Grace. I'm going to read the lyrics to this. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Listen to the progression. First, I, I understand 
that I was blind. And God did a work in my life. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Fear the things that were wrong. Fear the consequences of my sin. It wasn't condemnation. It, it wasn't aggressive propaganda. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And then it was grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. See that it appeared when I believed. Got to get to the point of belief before they can see it. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love. Oh, amazing grace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. And the original concludes with a line from the first verse. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Many of the modern revisions have taken that ending out, but, but they went right back to a point that had to be reiterated. I once was blind, but now I see. I love all of our new songs too, but you know what? We sing a lot of songs about God's fighting our battles. He's going to bring a victory. We're going to win. We're going to be on top. We're, it's going to be great. God's going to destroy everybody that stands before. We, when, when people walk by the church, be that the doors that are here or you and I when we're out in the community, what song are they still hearing? Is it, oh, God's going to defeat you. you or you're a worthless sinner. He's going to destroy you with fire and brimstone. Or is it amazing grace? How sweet the sound. There's a God that can do a work in your life. There's a God that can change you. There's hope where I, where I go. There's hope. There's a, there's a place that I can introduce you to. I can take you somewhere where you can find hope. You can find restoration. You can find peace and joy and salvation. I wonder sometimes, because I'm just, I'm just that far removed from it now, what is the reputation of the church among the world? I, I told you what I thought of it. Stiff back, straight, quiet. I mean, what, what does it look like now? We have the privilege and the opportunity to create the reputation of Jesus within our communities, within our circles of influence. What they see in you and what they see in me is what they attribute to the God we serve. Let it, be, let it be one that conveys both a testimony and a message of hope. I believe God will do it for you because He's done it for me. I'm going to play that song. It's one of the newer revisions and give us an opportunity to pray. Just consider, consider those questions. Who is it in your life right now that doesn't know God? Who is it in your life that you are actively reaching for? How many of them are there? What is your intentional plan? An offense has an intentional plan. They don't just run out on the field and say, boy, I sure hope we get the ball to the other end. No, there's a strategy in play. What's God talking to you about? How's God trying to use you to capture the heart someone whose mind has been blinded.